Hi, everyone, and welcome to our latest version of the Dovetail Podcast with Karen and Courtney. This is Courtney Hawley. And this is Karen Gonzalez. And so here we are a couple of days after Election Day, and I'm sure like many of you, Karen and I are in a bit of post-election funk and shock, so we figured we'd get that out of the way before we launch into the podcast. Karen, how are you? How are you feeling? How are you processing all of this? I am in shock and I feel angry. I feel betrayed. I feel so disappointed and ashamed of my fellow Americans who voted for Donald Trump. And, you know, I work for immigrants and with them, refugees and other kinds of immigrants. And I'm very fearful for them and what they are going to experience now in our country. I just, yeah, I I can't even express just the somberness, the darkness I feel. Yeah, you know, I it's been a long time since I've seen this level of sort of national mourning or depression over something that affects everyone, yet it's still, it's such a strange thing because obviously nearly half the country voted for him. And I'm just wondering how we could get to a place where we are so divided and we see our interests so differently. And yeah, I think that the fact that this took us by surprise, I know we were all watching Nate Silver like crazy and going into election night, you know, he had Hillary at a 75% chance of winning or something like that. So just sitting and taking that all in was it was a lot. And I think it like it showed us a lot about how people really are feeling in this country today. And I am also concerned for immigrants and people of color. Um, I'm especially uh, concerned for Muslims right now. I've read several stories this morning about women who have been assaulted and had their hijab pulled off. And there's this sentiment with a lot of the the harassment and hate crimes that I'm hearing about that now that Trump's in power, we're going to take our country back and we're going to do this. I I saw Sean King posted something about high school students bringing in these deportation letters for their Hispanic classmates. And it's just, it's a lot. It's scary. And I think that the unknown right now is just as scary as what we do know about Trump. So we just need to wait and, and see how this pans out because, uh, you know, he's going to meet with Obama today and I just can't imagine what this is actually going to look like. <laughs> I just don't know. Yeah, me neither. I, yeah, I'm still too stunned to even imagine. I did see his 100-day plan, and that was very frightening in terms of people losing their health care and immigrants losing their status that had been under the executive protection of President Obama and refugees being, refugee resettlement just being halted. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know many families personally who have talked about the fact that they get their health care through the Affordable Care Act, that they're, that's how their kids are insured. I know a clergy person who gets his through his denomination, but his wife and kids are on Obamacare and they're in this place of what are we going to do? You know, he's on a clergy salary and there are so many people that got their health care taken care of for the first time this way. And so there are just going to be so many so many vulnerable people for so many reasons. Um, And so I think that 
the rest of us just have to really pull together to try to hold this thing accountable and just to really start looking forward to our next elections too because it, between this and uh, the Congress being Republican too it's it's going to be an uphill battle I fear yeah I think you're right and I think that is why it's great that this episode is not going to be about the election we really need a distraction from it just for a little while and so today we are talking about representation representation of people of color uh, in the media including films tv print media yeah yeah and so i was also glad that this was our topic for today to be able to talk about tv and movies and entertainment because like you said i do think we definitely need a distraction and i think that this fall the um with some of the movies that have been out and some of the stuff that's come on to TV, on cable and Netflix and some other things, there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot of content out there and representation is something that I think we should talk about along with this content. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. I know that one of the first questions people ask about this sort of thing is whether or not it matters, if it's trivial, you know, with so many important serious things going on right now does media representation really matter you know i can hear people saying oh you know people are getting shot by the police in the streets and people are going to be deported why should we talk about fluff like tv and movies and things like that so i'm wondering um you know what's your opinion on that like do you do you find it trivial or do you think that it is relevant for the current conversation i do not find it trivial i think it seems trivial but it's incredibly important. And just to illustrate a, a personal story, you know, I have internalized racism and the normalcy of whiteness to such a degree that I didn't really care about media representation for a long time. In fact, when people used to bring it up, I would insist that I just wanted to see good quality programming and it didn't matter who was in it. But that really changed for me when my nieces were born. My nieces are half black American and half Guatemalan. And one day when Anya, who's the oldest, was in kindergarten, she came home and told my sister that she wanted pretty straight hair, like all the other girls. And it bothered me so much. I kept thinking about it. It reminded me of watching Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty when I was a little girl and wanting beautiful blonde hair and pale skin and blue eyes. I mean, I rarely saw brown people like me depicted at all on the media when I was a kid. And when they were, it was certainly not as beautiful leading ladies, usually maids or service workers. And I was so glad that though my niece had peers with hair or skin that were different than hers, she also has Dora the Explorer and Doc McStuffins, you know, the little cartoon black girl who's a doctor to her toys. Anya even had a Doc McStuffins birthday party. And there's Elena of Avalor, the Latina Disney princess. <laughs> And Annie, with the mostly black cast, and that Anya loves Annie. <laughs> she loves the soundtrack, and she loves the movie. And I see what a difference it makes in her life, and it makes me so happy. I didn't have that till I was an adult. I remember seeing a movie called uh, Real Women Have Curves, which is a stupid title, but the movie is very good. And it's a film whose cast and director are mostly Latinas. It was the first role for America Ferreira, who you might know from Ugly Betty. And it depicts this young Latina who grows into a confident woman 
through different experiences that she has that lead her to really positive self-affirmation. And that was the first time that I ever saw a character that I could identify with, that I saw myself reflected on the screen. So I think it's incredibly important. It has to do with our value, you know, our self-esteem, that we matter in the world. What do you think? Yeah, you know, I absolutely agree. And I relate to the fact that you brought up um, the children in your life, that seeing them experience this is special to you. And the same thing really happened with me when I had when I had my daughter. And I like you, I remember things like the Friends controversy and the Seinfeld controversy that there were no people of color. And I said, "Eh, does it matter? Maybe it's just Maybe it's realistic that people would not have friends of color, you know, and it's something that I was able to shrug off when I was younger. And I think it was because whiteness was just so normalized for me as well. But when I started to look at things through the eyes of my daughter, it just became very, very different as I watched a little girl, especially developing her standards of beauty and her outlook on certain things. What uh, my husband and I found was that what we were teaching at home was not enough to combat what she was getting in the media. We just weren't going to win, even though we were very careful about books and things that we bought and giving her the right messages and self-esteem. She still, like like your niece said, she wanted the long, straight, pretty hair and wanted to know why hers wasn't like that. And, you know, that just made me very sad. And it made me realize that these things really, really do matter. I think that we live in a society that is so media driven and so media saturated, you know, they talk about the 24 hour news cycle. We also have a 24 hour media cycle, entertainment cycle, consumption cycle, because we're always online. We're always getting commercials and print stuff and YouTube and you name it. It's it's constant. So I think that it is much more relevant to our lives than we might first think. And so it really it's not trivial. So I do think it's something that needs to be talked about. I know I wrote, I wrote a piece for Relevant Magazine, which I know um, has a bit of an evangelical lean to it, about the Oscar so white controversy last year, that hashtag that went around because there were, you know, few to none uh, minority movies that were nominated for the Oscars. And, you know, the first thing with comments is, oh, why does this matter? We're all God's people. We're all the same. And the point that I came to in my piece is that it matters because we are all God's people. And if I am told that I'm made in God's image and that we're all part of the body of Christ, that we're all part of one body, I need to see that I matter and that there can be a piece that looks like me. I don't want to lose my identity as I go into that. I shouldn't have to give that up. So, you know, yes, I do think it, it matters a lot. So, That sort of brings us to representation. What is it that we're getting? You know, a few years ago, there was much less. But now I think with more cable and um, computer based uh, entertainment sources, there's a lot more opportunity to have some marginalized voices, some representation, some different representation. So yeah, I know there's a lot of good stuff on TV right now. So and I don't get to watch that much. So I'm wondering, what do you want to talk about first? Which one of these should we take on first? Well, I was thinking first about how much uh, bad representation there is out there. I was, you know, I do enjoy TV and Netflix and movies and, you know, they call it the rep sweats and it's what people of color experience, right? Seeing 
a show where they're represented, but it just reinforces these terrible stereotypes about us and who we are. And I'm thinking about shows like Narcos on Netflix and Breaking Bad, which were really excellent shows, except all the Latino people were drug dealers. And then there's the devious maids, right? Latina maids. Wow. How different is that? Um, And even like Parks and Recreation, the sassy black sidekick, um, even the criminals on the wire were mostly all black, you know? And I think what the show that irritates me the most, um, there's, there's two of them actually, is the Mindy Project. Because here you have an Indian doctor who only dates extremely attractive white men and somehow lives in a world with no other Indians or people of color, except of course for a sassy black girl. And it just irritates me to no end. And, you know, people were really excited about that show Master of None that came out with Aziz Ansari. And there was oh, yeah. there was only one episode that I liked, and it was the second episode that was about the immigrant parents. But the whole show is exactly the same. Sassy black woman, friend, and an Indian guy who only dates white women and who lives in a world of whiteness, you know, except for the his one Asian friend, you know. And anyway, it just really... <laughs> It really bothered me, and I, I was annoyed that people were so excited about it, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. And I never really noticed the parallel uh, between Master of None and the Mindy Project, that there really are those similarities, that they live in these very white worlds and that they have that that sassy black friend. And, you know, for me as a black woman, that one is just so tough for myself and for my daughter. We're always the sidekick. I feel like the being overweight or, you know, having a little extra weight is always part of the trope of why they would never be sexually desirable. They're just there to support the, you know, the white lead and whatever it is that she has going on in her love life. And I know my daughter really likes, she likes Pitch Perfect. I know it's probably bad that I let her watch that, but I do. <laughs> and, but she's interested in the the love story and, you know, the heroine and, the pretty stuff that the girls wear. And she pointed out that, you know, the other black girl in it is is not the love lead. And she, you know, it does not have this kind of standard uh, sort of femininity that my daughter is, is seeking, you know, and that's, that's its own issue. But I think that for many little girls, they want to be the princess. They want to be the girl that gets the guy. And as a black woman, that's just so rare. It's so rare. They're always there for comedy and as sort of like that sexless mammy, you know, I think the sassy black friend today really is just a new iteration of some of the old black stereotypes, like the, like the big mammy and nanny and Aunt Jemima type thing, just modernized. So I agree with you that just our presence is not enough. It has to be meaningful presence. I think that it has to be created by diverse people. It can't be something that someone white creates and just sticks in some other actors for good measure. So yeah, you know, just just being there is not enough. I think that is is the first step. It's not. Yeah, and I think it's very significant, uh, which goes to, again, the importance of representation. I remember a professor in seminary talking about how one of the ways that people are poor is not just material poverty or disempowerment, but marred identity. Is That's a term he used, marred identity. He said they don't value who they are. They see themselves as lesser or second-class people in comparison to whiteness, 
because they don't see themselves represented in the world, whether in politics, religious leadership, or media. And so it's significant and it needs to change for sure. I think there is now slightly more representation right now than before, but I think popular cultural is still a great barrier because white producers have very limited imaginations and they just don't see a person of color in a role. You know, I'm thinking of a hashtag started by Asian Americans called um, hashtag starring John Cho. And this is a kind of social movement that imagines today's Hollywood blockbuster films with an Asian American actor as their lead. And this is John Cho, the actor. And this is their way to fight whitewashing, turning, you know, um, using a character who is diverse, you know, who is Asian in this case, in a role. And so John Cho um, has been photoshopped and inserted in the film advertising posters of movies like The Martian, The Avengers, The Huntsman, even the James Bond film. And it shows how easily he would have fit in and done a fabulous job in those roles, yet he wasn't even considered because he's not white. Right. And, you know, and that takes me back to the controversy they had a few months ago about Idris Elba being the new James Bond. And, you know, if you think about it, he totally fits what you would want James Bond to be, right? You know, he's he's tall, he's handsome, he's debonair, he's got the British accent and all of that. But I remember that uh, one of the filmmakers for the Bond franchise said, oh, you know, when I think Idris Elba, he's just too street. And I th- he used that euphemism street, which obviously meant, you know, he's he's too black to be James Bond. And um, dog whistle. Exactly. Exactly. And there's no reason that an actor like that could not be in a movie with mass appeal. That's not a, um, a quote unquote race movie and do a good job. I think that part of what's also weird is that content with people of color is often packaged as being for the people of that race and not for the masses. I think that as people of color, we are expected to partake in mainstream media culture. You know, we all would go and see The Martian or something like that. We wouldn't say, oh, that's a white movie. Um, But I think when you look at some of the black romantic comedies and things like that, you know, I'm even thinking of movies like The Butler, some things that were out that didn't perform that well at the box office because white people didn't go to see it. I think they maybe didn't think anything negative about it, but just thought that it was not for them. Um, So I think that that's something I would like to see both TV and movies do a better job with is using diverse actors and actresses while still pushing something as, you know, so-called mainstream, that it's not for this little niche group. It's for everyone and there's diversity in it. Right. Because Mart identity isn't just for people of color. It's also for white people who might see themselves as superior because they're the ones represented. And so when shows are created that represent us, good quality shows like Luke Cage, like Atlanta, you know, like Fresh Off the Boat or Jane the Virgin, I mean, they get to see us in many cases as we really are and not as the stereotypes portray us. And that is good for them, too. It's life giving. You know, it's opening up a new door. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that shows like the ones you mentioned, uh, Atlanta comes to mind for me. I think it does a really good job of depicting young black people with elite education and some different things, you know, doing their thing. People that I know exist but that others might not. 
And even if they know they exist, they might think they know, you know, what their opinions would be about certain things, or they, they might think that they understand, but they don't fully understand what goes on inside of other groups. And so I think that's something like Atlanta does a really good job of depicting that to other people. And so I, I do see real value in that. So not only is it about our own marred representation, as you said, it is good for others to see us depicted as we would want to be depicted. Mm-hmm. For sure. I think it'd be good for us to talk about some of these shows. Did you have a show that you wanted to talk about? Um, I'm really interested in Luke Cage. You know, I didn't get to watch much of it, but from what I saw, I was really taken in by it. And I really like all of the um, sort of comic book-esque, you know, Marvel world type things that have been out in the last decade. And it's nice to see something like that with um, a predominantly black cast and with some complex characters. So yeah, I was able to watch a little bit of it. And I thought that cinematically, it was really well done. Um, the acting seemed really strong and really natural. And I'm looking forward to seeing more of that one. Have you been able to see a little bit more of it? I did. I actually finished watching Luke Cage on Netflix. And I loved it. I mean, everything from the symbolism of the bulletproof black man with a hood, you know, fighting and justice in the city to the comic book nature of it. Because, you know, people think of comic book culture as being very white nerd. But hey, there's black nerds out there too. <laughs> blurds, the blurds, they call them on Twitter. <laughs> and they like comic book culture. And I, I loved it. And I love that it took place in, you know, blackness, that uh, it wasn't as if he was the lone black character dropped in a white world. But it's, you know, Harlem and he's he is in a world of people that look like him. And so, yeah, I I really I really liked it a lot. I I think it's one of the best shows I've seen in a while and I was very pleased with what they did with it. Yeah, and from what I saw in Luke Cage, I loved the setting in Harlem. Um that it was in the neighborhood and it just felt really natural to me um, from the the bit of time that I've been able to spend in Harlem in New York City and I really also liked there was a Netflix series that came out called The Get Down and that was also really fun it had that sort of uh, kung fu movie hip-hop culture vibe to it just like Luke Cage captured that uh, comic book vibe I think that The Get Down um, really captured that kung fu hip-hop kind of Wu-Tang thing really well and I loved that it showed black people and Latino people in their in their space and in their culture and enjoying their music and it, you know kids being kids and coming of age stuff um you know I just love a coming of age story and so to get one that has kids of color um was just really really enjoyable so I thought that one was also really well done and it reminded me of Luke Cage in the way that I felt that it pretty accurately and you know positively depicted Harlem just you know decades decades ago it was fun that was a good one too that's great yeah there's some really good shows right now and we've mentioned some of them like I think Fresh Off the Boat is a really great show and it's about an Asian family but really I think any immigrant would identify strongly with that show like I watch it and it's like watching my childhood when I see the characters interact with their with their parents um, there's also Jane the Virgin which is one of my favorites I really love that show and a mostly Latino cast um, 
the one thing that is hard for me often with representation is you'll have uh, good shows, you know, like Jane the Virgin, but it seems like producers are still afraid that the show will seem like it's, you know, for just for Latinos, right? And so in order to prevent that perception from going out into the world, they'll always cast the romantic lead as white people. And so like Jane is a Puerto Rican actress and yet opposite her, um, all her love interests are white men. You know, they're not, and some of them are white men given Latino surnames, you know, (laughs) which is really annoying because there's so many Latino actors out there, you know? And so I do like Jane the Virgin, but I'm annoyed by that. I just don't understand why she can't have a Latino, uh, you know, I mean, I'm a Latina woman. I live in the world. Most of the men that are attracted to me are not white, (laughs) you know, they are other Latino men or other men of color. And so that is a show that is good um, in many ways. Like the writing is clever. The whole like telenovela trope is hilarious, but it does have its issues. So, yeah. And it's going back to fresh off the boat a little bit. I've seen that a few times and I think it's hilarious. I think the acting is just so great. Everyone is really funny. And for myself, not coming from an immigrant family, Sometimes I'm almost a little bit um, uncomfortable laughing at some of the things that they put forward. And I I wonder if that's something that might be a more familiar feeling for white people when they take in um, sort of entertainment that's about people of color or people that are different and sort of making fun of their experiences from the inside. And I think that might be a big part of the reason that you don't see more stuff like that and I think that it's not a legitimate reason to not put it out there (laughs) right because if they don't sit in that discomfort they'll never get used to it (laughs) right exactly exactly and and it shows that you know even myself as a person of color the experience that they have is very different and so it is you know always kind of walking that line and I think you know especially for network tv they want to take the path of least resistance and I think for many years That was just making things white, you know, keeping interracial relationships out of it. And that was just the easiest thing to do. But I think what's interesting is that now that our demographic is changing so much with who is watching TV, who's in this country, that they're going to be forced to learn to walk that line and to take it on and to give the representation and sort of treat it realistically so that other people can learn and can can see this stuff. Absolutely. And I think um, I think one thing that's important for us to mention is that, you know, I've talked to different people of color and some of them, for example, don't like Luke Cage. <laughs> and some friends I have love Master of None. And some really love shows like Narcos. And, and so I think it's important to just say that people of color aren't going to have the same taste. We're not going to have the same responses to artistic creations like films and TV shows. And that that's okay. We can disagree on those things. As long as there are things we can actually disagree about because shows about us are being made. Right. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think that sometimes there's such a, there's been such a lack of these shows being made that it's almost like, well, don't criticize it because you want them to keep making it. But that's just 
totally silly. That's not fair. You know, if you have issues with Luke Cage, tell us why. You know, I can say, oh, I liked this about it. And someone could say, I I did not like it. And so, you know, the same thing that would go on with any sort of TV shows. We would never expect people to all like a show just because it was pointed at their demographic or that, you know, some company thought they would like it. So it is really important to to note that. And, you know, and I think that there are just so many complexities with race in this country right now that you're not going to get everyone to agree. And that's a good thing. I think that, like you said, the fact that it's there for us to talk about is what's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think along that controversy, it we can't not talk about Birth of a Nation oh, gosh, yeah. and the controversy behind that. Um, yeah, Birth of a Nation, if you have not heard of it, is a film about Nate, uh, Nat Turner, who led a slave rebellion um, back before the Civil War. And the controversy is not about the film itself, but about the, one of its creators and the lead actor, who's Nate Parker, and he was on trial for rape when he was a college student and was acquitted. Um, but the the woman that uh, was the victim committed suicide um, about ten or twelve years ago, and so the controversy has been just with. Nate Parker's response, it seems a little bit tone deaf when he talks about, you know, the impact on him versus the impact on her, which is clearly worse. He went on to live and to have a successful career. But I think it brings up uh, an interesting question, right, of what do we do when people, one of us, a person of color, um, a creator of art, does something despicable in his or her personal life. Yeah, you know, this this movie and Nate Parker as a filmmaker has been so controversial, and I have heard so many differing opinions from different people. Um, there is no consensus, and I, I certainly don't think there's any consensus among the black community about how we should feel about the film or Nate Turner or I'm sorry, I'm mixing up Nate Parker and Nat Turner. Um, but whether or not we should see the film, support the film anyway, because it's important. And, um, you know, it's just, it's a really complex thing for me. I chose not to see the film and I, I thought about it quite a bit, whether or not it was important, therefore I should support it. But I just don't support the way that he has chosen to address this and to talk about it. It makes me uncomfortable. And I know too many women who are survivors of assault who are just really turned off by him. And so I haven't been able to get comfortable enough to go see it. And I know that I've seen tons of posts on, on social media and in blogs and things, um, usually by black males who say oh we've fallen for the distraction you know how dare our women take down something important like this and what I've come to is that I think there's a real problem within the black community talking about gender um, and talking about some of these issues I think that that's where we're sort of hitting an impasse I would like to see better and more fruitful dialogue about issues of gender and issues of sexual assault within our community because I think that you know, we, and I, I get it. We get so much 
from oppression from the outside that there's this desire to say hey look at this important thing let's back it no matter what but um you know not all black people are men not all black people are men not all women are white you know there are those of us who sit in the intersection and it makes it a difficult issue and i know that the first thing people bring up is someone like woody allen or you know um what is it is it roman polanski yes yeah, who have done despicable things and have gone on to have careers. But I think that what I try to be really careful with is not giving men of color a pass because others have not been called to task. It's almost like a a two wrongs don't make a right thing. And I don't like Woody Allen either. Um, And I resent his success. But, you know, I don't know that that the tit for tat thing is, is how to approach it. But I know it's it's very complex and people are all over the place on this one. Um, were you able to see the movie? Did you see it? Yes. So I did decide to see it. And, you know, I thought about a lot of these things because I also know women who have been victims of sexual assault. And I hated the way that Nate Parker addressed this entire issue. Um, it really, really bothered me. I think one of the reasons I went to see it is, I mean, I've studied film on a very limited basis, but I know that it takes a community to create a film. That, yes, he's the filmmaker and he's the lead actor, but there are hundreds of people that worked to create that film. And it is a story told by a person of color behind the camera and a person of color in front you know, of it as well. And that really mattered to me. And I wanted, you know, Gabrielle Union, who stars in the film, is herself a victim of sexual assault. And I wanted to to see it because I wanted to see how that story would be told differently from the way that I learned it, you know, in history class and the way that I have heard it spoken about. And so I did see it. And, and it is it is a good film. It has its issues. And, you know, it's hard to know how I would have felt about it had I not heard anything about this controversy because now it's colored my perceptions. Um, There is a little bit of sort of toxic masculinity in it. Um, And I say that because women are just kind of, they're not subjects, they're objects, you know, they just receive action. They don't take any themselves, his wife, his family. Um, Yeah, that I thought could have been stronger it is the story of nat turner but you know none of us are self-made you know and so i thought that could have been better and you know i know a little bit about how much black women have been marginalized and i wanted to see them have agency in this film and they simply don't and so that was hard and i it was one of the things i didn't like about the film but overall it's very well done and it's well made It's hard to recommend it because I feel like it's so personal to people, you know? Right, exactly. And we're not going to all agree. It is very personal. Um, And so everyone has to kind of draw their own, draw their own line, draw their own conclusions. And Mm -hmm. um, that's okay. But I, you know, I think just the fact that the conversation is out there because there's no, I don't think there's a right answer. Um, because I agree with a lot of what you said, especially about a film uh, belonging to many, many more people than just the filmmaker and the star. Um, for Black actors, work is so limited. Uh, 
that to not support something they're in is really sad. So I, I see that part too. It's just really difficult. And I, I liked what you said about the toxic masculinity. I know um, I once heard Spike Lee speak in college and a female student asked him a question about the way that he depicts women and um, the pick sexual assault and some different things. And he got very defensive and said, well, you know, I'm a black man. If you want to make a film about black women, then you do it. And I was just so turned off by that because none of us live in a vacuum. And, you know, obviously there are men and women in our communities and in our families. And so to say, I don't need to worry about the way I treat this whole half of characters to me was really out of line. You know, I would expect the same from a female filmmaker if they were, you know, I think treating, you know, male subjects in a way that I didn't think was realistic or I thought was self-serving you know, I could see someone bringing that up. So it really is, I think that comes back to these con- conversations about gender within the marginalized community. It's that intersectionality thing that's just so crucial. So yeah, you know, I was sad that there was all of this negativity around the film. I had hoped that it could be a big deal, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had hoped so too. And that's why I was really glad actually when Moonlight came out. And that is a fabulous, fabulous film. I just can't say enough good things about it. There are not words. And it's so good. It's um, it's a movie that's based on a play that was titled In Moonlight, Black Boys Look Blue. Isn't that just a beautiful title? I just love it. It's so lyrical and poetic. And this is a coming-of-age film. And, you know, there have been a lot of coming-of-age films about white people Boyhood, Stand By Me, Can't Hardly Wait, The Sandlot, Mermaids, Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. I mean, I could go on and on and on with how many have been made. But this is a story you actually haven't seen before because it's a coming-of-age story about a young man who is black and who is gay. And he's growing up in this tough neighborhood in Miami. And um, the filmmaker, Barry Jenkins, is also black, The original playwright is actually also black and the actors in the film are black and so it's a black creation which i also loved it's one of those films that just lingers with you when you leave it just has more in common with a poem than with a typical narrative it's this kind of collection of moments and it you feel like you know you see these three parts of this young man's life And afterwards, you feel like you've actually spent time in someone else's dream. And now you've woken up and you understand who they are a little bit more, you know? It's just so well done. There's this uh, lovely scene where the lead character, Chiron, goes swimming with this kindly father figure who is actually a drug dealer named Juan. And it's photographed like a baptism. And it's really a, a beautiful scene. And, you know, it's... It's a film about finding your voice, however quiet your voice is, because he's a very, very serious and silent young man. It's also about finding pain and finding love. It's so well done. I highly, highly recommend it to you. Wow. I love I love how you described that. That just sounds so amazing. That sounds like such a a true cinematic experience, I guess you could say. I know, um, I don't think that's playing nationally. I looked it up and I know it's playing in Baltimore where you are, but I don't think it was playing here, but I'm really hoping that 
it continues to do well and that I can see it because I have heard just wonderful things about that movie. So that sounds just, re- and it's nice to have something a little bit different, you know, that's not the same old, um, mm-hmm. same old movie about the black experience. So I am definitely looking forward to that. Um, I know that a one that has been just, you know, such a controversy as well is the Nina Simone biopic that uh, stars Zoe Saldana. And I'm not sure. I know that they started this and made this years ago. I don't know that it ever went to the big screen. It's available now online on demand and Amazon and some things. But um, I really think that the film kind of got killed before it got started. And I know that a lot of the anger about it was the choice to use Zoe Saldana uh, to depict Nina Simone, who I think was known for having her dark skin and her very black features and her big afro um, and for being this very pro-black image that's very different than the media black image that I think gets pushed with a lot of women, uh, with a lot of black women, you know, lighter skin, the Halle Berry, curly hair type thing. And so I think that Black women were just so outdone by that choice. And also because there are so many actresses that aren't, um, you know, what did they say about Viola Davis? Someone said she's not traditionally beautiful or something like that. I think so many women with darker skin and with black features are used to hearing that, that it was kind of hurtful to see someone who did not look like that get the role and to have the nose widened and the darker skin and and all of that. But, I, you know, I do... I think it's sad that we didn't give it give it a chance because I know I think that Zoe Saldana is a fantastic actress. Um, but the choice just kind of took the whole thing down before it got started. And I know that um, Zoe is an Afro-Latina, isn't she? Is- she is. And that's kind of one of the... Yeah, I mean, I it's one of the hard things for us in the Latino community because just like dark skinned black women aren't seen as beautiful, Afro Latinas, no matter how light skinned, are not seen as beautiful in our culture and our communities. And so many of us, without thinking about all the things that you're saying about Nina Simone, we're so excited, you know, when Zoe Saldana got cast because here she is. She's beautiful. She's an Afro Latina. She would never be famous and like latin american tv world because she's dark and and she doesn't have um she, you know the texture of her hair is different and and here she was cast in this major film so it's so complicated for us i heard though i heard from friends who are um black women who expressed you know a lot of what you're saying and i hear that and yeah it's very difficult you know there will always be these complexities. And like for myself, I never would have seen it the way that you see it. You know, I I see it from my very kind of African-American standpoint, not having an understanding of Latino culture. But I I totally hear that. And I love Zoe Saldana. I think it's sad that she sort of got caught in the crossfire with this one. But it's always so, so complex. And that, that now that I talk about it, it leaves me feeling like, well, maybe we should see these things to at least judge for ourselves because you know it's there's just no way to make these judgments ahead of time and based on casting and and things like that so it's not simple but we have to do it that's what i've i've come to (laughs) yeah good stuff so i hope that you guys check out some of these shows um make sure that you 
find us on Twitter and find us online. Let us know what you're watching, if you watch any of this stuff, or if we forgot anything, let us know. So you can find us on Twitter at dovetailcast is that right karen i never get these right <laughs> correct at dovetailcast at dovetailcast you can find me at court rhapsody and you can find me at underscore karen j gonzalez yeah so let us let us know what you think we can talk tv talk some light stuff to chase the blues away a little bit so absolutely you know speaking of that karen what have you been up to what have you been watching or listening to or reading what are you into these days sure well i have really enjoyed uh moonlight i have debated going to see it again because it's one of those films where i feel like i missed something and so um so it's so good i would like to check it out so that's something that i've been um that i saw recently And I've also been listening to um, podcasts because, you know, I love podcasts. (laughs) And and, uh, my friend uh, Jason and my friend Tracy, Jason is on Twitter as well. And he has a podcast that is called Faith and Focus, where he talks about films that people of faith should see. And I actually was a guest on one of them, one of the episodes. But for people of faith who love film, it really is an excellent podcast it's thoughtful you know they're just fun and interesting people to listen to i highly recommend it yeah that sounds great i know um of jason from twitter and from the slate project and some of the things that uh we interact with online and so that really does sound good my i discovered uh that the people at slate speak are also doing a chat called slate reads i didn't see that one get started So uh, it seems like they're doing a book club of sorts on Twitter where they're picking some socially conscious books and talking. And the last one I saw, they were reading Sandra Ground by Kelly Brown Douglas, uh, who is a womanist theologian, and it's about the treatment of black bodies in America. She wrote it after the killing of Trayvon Martin really affected her. And that was just a great read. It's one that I had that I had not cracked open before. I kind of grabbed it when I saw the discussion and skimmed it and I looked at it a little bit more. after the fact. So Kelly Brown Douglas, Stand Your Ground, I would take a look at that. I'm also, I'm taking guitar lessons. It's my little treat to myself and I really love it. And so as a result, I've been really into um, sort of acoustic music and Americana music and folk music, which is kind of funny because those areas are very much considered white, very white and male, that kind of bluegrass folk music thing. But it led me to look to see if there were any people of color out there making this kind of music. And so um, I've been listening to Valerie June, who is um, an Americana singer who just has a really interesting voice. It's really good stuff. Also, I know some people at Alabama Shakes, they're another group that has a black female lead singer. I think they might be out of Nashville, another kind of folk type group. And so I've just been really into that. I don't know if maybe I was inspired by Beyonce on the on the CMAs, on the Country Music Awards. <laughs> That was so good. I'm obsessed with that song. <laughs> yeah, the Daddy Lessons. It's it's so good. And I think that we don't know, like, you know, there are so many influences and stuff that's old Americana. Like, we were in the Appalachians, too, and we were making music with acoustic instruments, too, and gospel and blues, and all of that is in there. So, yeah, the Americana folk stuff is not, not just for white folks. We need to make sure that we support those who are making that music and also, you know, take hold of our history that's there. I think that's, like, the West Virginia in my roots that, that comes out with that. So that's been fun for me. That's what 
that's what I've been up to. That is awesome. I'm glad that you have found some good distraction in these very difficult times that we're in. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. So (laughs) I will continue to listen to my music, play my guitar, and, you know, we'll try to keep ourselves going. But this was a good talk. So thank you guys so much for listening to the Dovetail Podcast, where we talk about issues of faith and gender and race and identity and social justice and everything in between in the ways they intersect. So thank you for joining us. This is Courtney Hawley. And this is Karen Gonzalez. See you next time.